the podcast for women in film and television, Austin. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to season two of the WIFT Austin podcast. I'm today's host, Chantel James. This episode is for anyone interested in learning a little more about how to fund a feature film specific to the Texas market. I'm hoping to give y'all some ideas on financing. Today's guest is Suzanne Weinert. Suzanne is a writer, producer, and is the president of Flatiron Pictures, specializing in the production of independent feature films throughout the Southwest. She's been a faculty member at both Fordham University and the School of Visual Arts in NYC and has served on the advisory board of the South by Southwest Film Festival, as well as a board member of the Austin Film Society. Some of her film credits include Exterminators, Hellion, Austin Found, The Doodah Man, and Ripped. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming in on a Sunday to, to chat with us. No, my, it's my pleasure. You have air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's talk about your, your early career. You went to film school in New York. I did. Yeah. I did. And I went to undergrad and then uh, I did another master's program at Columbia and then I went to the film school. Yeah. And then your first kind of taste on set was working with Ron Howard. Yes. I got an internship while I was in film school to be his intern. What a way to get started. You know, it's funny. I was thinking I'd write to him again because now that I'm directing, mm -hmm. like it never occurred to me that I wanted to be a director at that point. And it was the beginning of David Kep's career. And so he had written the script. And so I got to work with him a little bit and just had the best time. I mean, the movie had Michael Keaton, who had just been in two Batman, so he was super famous. Super hot. Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, who had just won the Oscar, Robert Amazing. Duvall, and Randy Quaid. And so, like, watching Ron kind of navigate all those personalities and everything, it was... It was so amazing. I've been thinking I want to write him a letter in it and say, I'm directing now, and <laughs> I wish I'd paid more attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so next you worked uh, with Julia Roberts' production company. Yes. Yeah. And that was great. We did like seven years together, and I think we did like all together. We probably worked on like 14 movies. The highlights for me, we, we did these wildlife documentaries, and so she and I went to like the jungles of Borneo for like a month. And did orangutans oh, in I Borneo. Re I remember her, that phase where she was like really into the oh. orangutans. And then we went to Mongolia for like a month and did Genghis Khan's wild horses. Wow. It was kind of a last minute thing to do the Borneo one. Susan Sarandon originally was going to do it. And we all shared office space at that point. Susan and her then partner, Tim Robbins and Julia and I. And Susan was going to go and then she couldn't do it. So at the last minute we agreed and like... We decided to go into the jungle of Borneo, which, you know, is right up there in one of the most remote places right. in the world, with essentially five British men. We'd, oh, we'd met two of them once before, and then the rest of them we met when we showed up. And I think back and go, wow, like that was really, <laughs> we must have really thought like it was going to be fun because yeah. we just did it. It, yeah. no, it never, no secure, we had one, Mark brave. Shand. It was brave. Mark Shand, who is the... He's deceased now. Rest in peace, Mark. Uh, he's the brother of Camilla Parker Bowles. He was our security <laughs> advisor. <laughs> and he looked like Crocodile Dundee. Honestly, I can't believe we did it, but we did it. And then two years later, we did the same thing in Mongolia, but we knew him then. Right. So, <laughs> but you have to really, I mean, you get close <laughs> yeah. to your crew yeah. when you're like, we shared a, 
a gear in Mongolia. Like all of us were in this like gear. And at night, the um the gophers, whatever they were, would come up out of the ground. Oh my god. So like you see the carpets were like undulating and some of the crew was like on the floor and all of a sudden in the middle of the night they started screaming. Oh you know, you think back and you're like, God, I I was young and like Oh, my God. Would I do that now at my age? Would I go, like, live in a gear for a month in Mongolia? I don't know. I, I might. The, I might. The, the, it was good enough for Julia. Yes. So. <laughs> we were young. We were young. Honestly, we were young. And it was so exciting. God, those were so fun. But, yeah, so that's that was those seven years. And then, um, and then I started my own company. And I was in New York for a couple of years. And then I started coming out here. We yeah. had a writer's strike. Right. So I was writing full time. Because that's really what I wanted to do. And both of my advanced degrees are in writing. So, you know, having met everyone in the industry when I was working for Shoelace, Julia's company, I was able to kind of make a living as a screenwriter. And then we had the writer's strike in 2008, I guess. And that brought everything to a screeching halt. And a buddy of mine was here and said, hey, why don't you come out to Texas and produce my movie Clown Hunt, which was about men who hunt clowns. It's like an alternate universe. <laughs> I was like, what? That sounds so weird. So we did that. And we went to West Texas. We made this movie. It's very hard to find copies of it. Someone told me it's on eBay or something like that for like $200. But we joke. It's like 38 people went into the West Texas desert. 37 came in. <laughs> um, so that was my first foray into Texas filmmaking. But I met a ton of people. Yeah. We weren't in Austin at all. But then I met some people who worked here. And then when the strike was over, a movie I wrote got produced here. And so I came out for that. Yep. Exterminators. Yep. Were you producing that? Was that? I wrote it mm -hmm. and I was a producer, but there were a Jay Michelson. There were other producers attached uh -huh. um, for sure. And yep. they, I knew the director. He was a friend of mine. So yep. I was attached. I was more kind of, I would say like a creative Producer, producer yeah. um, I did not raise the money. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the, you know, one producer kind of was responsible for all the Austin logistics and the other producer did all the financing. And so, but I really enjoyed it. And then it was the opening night movie at South by in mm -hmm. 2009. Oh, wow. And I came and I was introduced to a woman who has become one of my like best friends here, but she had a condo on Rainy Street when it was still just little, little houses. houses. Yeah. And she let me stay in her place during South By. And on the plane ride back to New York, I, I remember thinking, wow, I'd really love to live in Austin. I'd really love to live in Austin. And I got home and there was a letter telling me I'd won like a grant for $12,000 yeah. to do anything I want, unrestricted grant. And so I called her up and I said, hey, if I give you my grant, can I live in your condo? Because it was empty. They lived in San Antonio at the time. Yeah. Can I live in your condo for a year? And she said, yes. Fantastic. So then I just went back and forth, New York. Here and then in 2011, I just pulled the plug. I pulled the plug. Some yeah. people who lived below me in in New York needed my apartment for a reason and made me an offer. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't refuse. I couldn't refuse. <laughs> and so I just stayed. And then I've been here ever since, just producing and writing and uh, and now directing. And now directing. Very exciting. And so you have produced countless movies in Texas and the Southwest. I would like to talk to you okay. uh, a little more about like raising funds mm -hmm. on, on those projects, um, specifically in the Texas market. Obviously, it's a huge subject. So so I, here's the thing about raising money in Texas. So when I first started doing it in like 2008, 2009, 2010, 
And I know nothing about the oil business, but my sense was that oil was doing very well. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of disposable income. So there's a lot of pride in Texas. And honestly, uh, um, what I love about oil and gas men is they're not risk adverse, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I literally had one of them say to me, I drill a hole in the ground. If oil comes out, great. If uh, If it doesn't. He goes, I think he was like, I have a drink. (laughs) If none comes out of the ground, I have two drinks. And then I just go down the road and drill another hole. And so they make for great investors. And at the time, uh, I believe Governor Perry was still in office. I I personally found him to be very film friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't align, you know, on Mm -hmm. every issue, clearly. But um, I found him to be very film friendly. And so it was very easy to find Texas investors who wanted to pretty much invest in their state. Like there's so much Texas pride. So for years, it was not difficult if you had a proper budget, I mean, a lot of other people, like real estate people and whatever, they really look at the budget. Like right. they want to see the hard numbers. So you have that investor who cares very much about that aspect of it. The specifics of, of and every then, single line and what, yeah. And, right. And yeah. like what value is that really bringing to the project? And yeah. just they look at it, you know, when you have a brick and mortar business, you look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Oil and gas men, honestly, for a lot of them, I always felt it was more just like a fun thing to do. And it wasn't tremendous amounts of money. Like we were raising, you know, a million, two million, three million in that range. And I think for a lot of them, there was a fun aspect to it. Um, They, you know, their wives got very excited about it. We always joke, like, you know, they're at the, you know, River Oaks Country Club right now, like chatting about it. Well, we're Um, investing in this movie project. Exactly. (laughs) In our movie. And this is who's starring in our movie. And look, it's really fun. And a lot of the investors... You know, some of the movies I did, the actual investor might not have known who the actor was, but I'd always say, go home and you have a teenage daughter at home, go home and ask her. (laughs) Uh, And that went great. And I would say that was really the bulk of what I was doing until like, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017. Then I was lucky enough, I worked on some projects where the financing was already in place. Right. Companies like Rooster Teeth Mm -hmm. and things like that. And just that's just a joy because you just kind of come in and have fun. You you get to do the actual producing job versus the financing job. But I will say, so one thing that has happened, and I, anyone in the film business will tell you that, is, you know, our incentive program has been less funded over the last two, I guess, legislative cycles. And luckily, we've had big TV series come here. Yes. And that's great because TV series stay for years. If you get a job on one of those, you can work seven, eight months. I mean, I think that is great. And all my friends who work in television, I'm so happy for them because they can have a real life here yeah. and their kids can go to school here and they can drop their kids at school or pick them up. It's So that's amazing. But when those companies come in, a lot of the incentive money goes that way. And so right now in particular, I think we don't really ha- have any money in our incentive program. It's all been allocated. Right. So it's very hard because even though they might not be risk adverse, the investors that I deal with understand the concept of incentives and the concept that Right now, there are other places that may offer them a better deal. So when you say places, you mean other states. Other states. So in general, it's become much harder to raise money because you can't really say, well, but look, if you invest, the state will contribute and there's all this and you just don't have that right now. You know, I talked to Mindy Benson and and other people people who are, you know, really at the front line of the whole incentive issue. And they seem very optimistic. Like I, I call Mindy up regularly and just go like, I'm moving. And she's always like, <laughs> Please stay. No, you know, and we have coffee. And then by the end of it, I'm like, great. But I, I do think I'm doing a movie right now. 
that Alexandra Chando, who is now, she's a actress director. She's directing it. I'm a writer producer and our financing, we're hoping half of it comes from Texas uh, and the other half is going to come from, from Massachusetts, but we won't shoot here right. because at our budget level, it just doesn't make sense to, there's no incentive for us. There would be none. So we will shoot in another state to be determined. And that, that's sad for me, yeah. but I'm still involved in actively raising money for my projects that I've either written or will write and produce. And it's a lot harder. And I'm starting to have to find investors outside of Texas. Mm -hmm. But I meet a lot of young filmmakers and they're always like, how do I raise money? And mm -hmm. it's just like, it depends on how much you're trying to raise. You know, I made a movie in Texas for $300,000. I know what that looks like and yeah. I know it's doable. Yeah. At that budget level, it is probably going to come down to friends and family. Like you could make a short, you could enter that, you could win some grants, you could do whatever, la, 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 la. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to raise a bulk of the money. Mm -hmm. And at that point, unfortunately, it is going to be friends and family. I still tell people, apply for all the grants and whatever, because it's easier to get money out of people when you can say, this is supported by yes. AFS or the, you know, wh whatever it is. Yeah. But you are going to have to, at some level, ask people, you know, for money. Yeah. And if you are not comfortable asking people for money, then you either need to partner up with someone who is yeah. and give them a big chunk if they get any of the money in. Or you're going to have to change your attitude and just like put your big girl panties on and get out there and ask because learn to hustle. You have to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of people who, who work really hard. They can do everything else. They can make a great deck and they can make the calls and find out the right people. But you get them in the room and like they literally go Ugh. like they start to stammer because the words. So we're looking for. Five investors at $100,000 each, mm -hmm. you know, like they can't. They can't ask for the money. They can't. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I grew up in New York, but I don't have that fear factor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I just I'm don't. a New Yorker. <laughs> give, it give me money. <laughs> it doesn't symbolize anything for me. I look at it like, here's a great opportunity for you. I don't look at it as like, I have this big need that I need from you. I'm right. like, here's a great thing. Yeah. We're going to go have fun and do this. You can come and be a part of it. And I, I've been super lucky with some projects that, like, came together at the last minute, got shot, whatever, and we're playing in a big festival eight months later and were available on streaming and even in some very local theaters within a year. It is the unicorn, I grant you. Mm -hmm. But that happened. I experienced that. I can speak firsthand about when things all go well, this is what can happen. I've also seen other projects that didn't go well, and those people will never invest again. But... If it didn't go well, it was nothing I had anything to do with. Right, <laughs> you know right, I mean? right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, ask for the money, but don't need it. Don't be desperate. <laughs> don't be de Right. You're you're offering people, and I think, a fun opportunity. I had an investor group once. They owned funeral parlors in Chicago. Interesting. And I flew. they flew me to Chicago, and we sat and talked. And I had no idea. But, you know... There's data of approximately how many people will die. I mean, and they owned like 50 funeral parlors. And so they had like hard, cold numbers, times of year, like all this stuff. What? And, yeah. And so they were just like. Like the, statistically, yes. there's a month that more people die. We know we need to bring on more people to work. And wow. like January is a big death month. <laughs> just FYI. And so, and so like, yeah, they just didn't get it. They were like, well, how much will you make? In the, and I'm like, 
We don't know because we don't have a finished project. We can look at other movies that are similar. Right. And they were like, oh, no. <laughs> nope, we can't. So they do didn't it. do it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when you're starting out, if you're self financing your first feature, it is probably going to be people that you know. Yeah. And the rule of hand is you just don't take money from people. Like, if you have to see them over a Thanksgiving table, be very careful. Right, 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 right. Because that's a forever thing. Yeah. And then once you start getting into like higher budgeted stuff, I mean, you have to kind of commit 10 years. Now, if you are solely a producer and someone who's raising money and solely producing, then there is a hustle to it and you have to find the right directors and the right projects and all that. But if you are a writer, director, trying to raise money for your own movies, I always tell people it's 10 years. Yeah. You, and you can't take the temperature of your career every year. You just have to say, this is what I'm focused on for the next 10 years. And then you like throw in a pandemic or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, everything's a building block. I do believe making shorts is a great way to go to festivals. And, and build relationships. Build relationships. And, and you never know. Like I'm I'm on the board of the Mammoth Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not, not, not to plug them, but I just yes. happen to know. Yes. We did this amazing thing this year. Uh, there's a pitch fest. And if you signed up and you got a slot, you were able to pitch to industry executives and financiers of this panel. And the goal was that one person who pitched was going to win free studio space. One of the underwriters of this event is a woman named Marina Cappy, and she owns Cappy Studios in Boston. And she was going to give the winner, I think it was a month of free studio space, That's which amazing. is tremendous, right? Yeah. So, you know, you had people pitch and, and, and some of their stuff was like set in the jungle and you're just like, oh, I don't know, whatever. But I, you know, this team won. They were, I think from NYU, writer, director, and the, her producer, great pitch. They won. And now they can use that mm -hmm. plus whatever their deck is, whatever to say, we're, we're, we already have $40,000 worth of, I mean, these girls are going to get that movie made. I am convinced. Yeah. But that's like, how they did it. They they were there with a short. And I strongly suggest two of my three films that I've directed are a small moment in a larger piece that I want to do. So proof of concept. Yeah. yeah. But has to be standalone story. Like I hate when you go to festivals and you feel like you're watching just a proof of concept. Like the story doesn't have a, a three act structure. I right. mean, even a five minute short should have a three act structure. But yes, absolutely. So that when people say, How, what was your impetus to make this thing? You know, oh, well, it's part of a larger, you have that conversation. And you have a discussion. You have a starting point and then maybe you can meet someone at a festival who yes. might be interested in investing. And or knows someone. Exactly. Or, you know, I mean, my very first short was about a 75-year-old man who wants his son to suffocate him with a hefty bag, which it sounds dark, but it's actually funny. I had so many people come up to me after that just that subject matter really touched them and like, oh, and you should talk to so-and-so because mm -hmm. he's la, 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 la. And these things are all just investments in your own career. So I say, you know, make shorts, go to all the festivals if you can, look at which festivals have opportunities, like specific opportunities that can lead to, you know, winning something. Yeah. And give yourself 10 years because it's not going to happen overnight. And I know people who made their first film for nothing, had it at a huge festival and thought they were just going to like sit back and the world was going to change. And it 
didn't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so then they had to go back to the drawing board and yeah. like do another one. And and like when they look back over 10 years, it all did work out because they were passionate and committed and in most cases talented. I do think the industry tends to weed out. Yes. Oh, definitely. So Well, and also if you continue to make stuff, you're just going to get better, right? I mean, I think ge so. generally that's a general rule. Not everybody maybe takes the notes and progresses. But yeah. I think generally, if you keep making content, you are going to get better Eventually at storytelling. Eventually you get better, especially if you're directing, because I do think that's a muscle. Yes. I just, my first short just played at the Hill Country Film Festival, which is honestly like my most favorite festival in Texas. It is. I mean, <laughs> there's so, there's so uh, many. I'm like, what? Which, oh no. Hill Country is great. Fantastic. I highly recommend everyone from all over the country just apply to Hill Country. It's four days. It's Fredericksburg. Yep. Great town. It's the people, Chad and his wife who run, they're amazing people, Chad and Amy. Like, I love it. I went last year with another short and then went back this year with my first short. Like, I'd forgotten how much I loved it, honestly, because all of my friends worked on it. But I was like, oh, I would have changed that. Oh, I would I should have done that differently. <laughs> so, you know, you look back and you can see yourself, like, yeah. things you do differently. And I have two more short. I there. I have ideas for two more shorts I want to do. Uh huh. Um. And then at some point, like the goal is and the goal is twenty twenty three to do a feature. Feature. Okay. There you go. So I will be just like everyone else, trying to raise money and being practical about. I've just I just write what I want to write. Yeah. And then I go back and I'm like, okay, well that little moment you just wrote, that's a $200,000 day. You need to rethink that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that first draft, you just got to get, get you it just out. just got to get it out. Get it out. So. Yeah. So, okay. So you're, you're a first time producer. You've got a great script that you're excited about. You have a pitch deck that you've put together. It looks good. Maybe you have a proof of concept. What other like pieces do you need to put in place before you can start Reaching out a to a budget for sure. Well, yeah. And if you don't know how to make one, yes. it is worth spending the fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars, whatever it is, to have a real line producer mm -hmm. do one. Yeah. Because that's the key right there. Yep. You know, I have people all the time just call me up and say, Hey, you know, can you look at this budget someone did for me? And, you know, there are just certain things I always look at. And it's kind of a big time commitment for me because I have to read the script first. Yeah. And so, you know, it's usually like it's a lot, you know, like three or four hours of work on my end. Mm -hmm. um, and so depending on how good a friend they are, um, I, I'll say, yeah, sure, send it to me. And I know what to look at. And I can tell right out of the gate when it was done by someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. And that I think is super important because if let's say you've erred on the side of lowballing it, right? It's not like you have some magical power that you can do. Like there's things cost what they cost. Yeah. So you're going to have to, when you start hiring people and department heads and they start telling you what is good, then at some point you're going to have to change that budget and you're going to have to go back to your investors and ask for more money. Right. So to me, it's just always better to have a realistic budget and know how much money you have to raise. But, you know... I've heard stories like, oh, our original budget was $2 million and we made the movie for 700000 Okay, but I guarantee you that the script that you had on the $2 million budget is not the movie you shot at 700000 Right. The budget didn't change. The script changed. Right. Well, make another movie. You've got $1.3 million. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, I have no movies that have gotten set up on a one-page summary 
a deck <clears throat> and a budget. Because there are just some investors, I hate to say it, like they don't want to read the script. No. They're just like, tell me what it's about, who's going to be in it, and the deck shows like who's involved and like potential cast and whatever. And then the budget. Where's the money going to go? Right. So, I mean. Right. And they want to know your distribution plans and how you're going to make yeah, money back. Uh, yeah. And that's always like the tricky part of the deck or the pitches because it's like, what is anyone's distribution plan? The, the goal is to try and get it into a big festival. I mean, that's really it. That's yeah. That's step one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I see, when again, when I read in these things, it's like, well, you know, ideally we'll play at Sundance or South by, and then we'll do this and this, that. And I just want to laugh. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. But that, you know, when you, when you're, uh, when you're a new, when you're green and you make your first thing and you're like, this is great. They don't know. Sundance is going to love me. <laughs> and then you get your rejection letter and you're like, oh, okay, right. It, it keeps yeah. you humble. The Duplass brothers talk about, it took them 10 years years yes. before they could get into Sundance and like 10 years of heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It just happens. And again, like that's what I'm saying. It's like every, it's a 10 year career. Like you just have to keep trying. And I think I got totally spoiled. Like Exterminators premiering at South by, yeah. you know, I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be like five years, I think, before I got back to South by. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you do need all of these elements in place, they need to be realistic before you can start having real conversations with investors. Now, the tricky part is when you have what I would call an unsophisticated investor. And I don't mean that personally. I just mm -hmm. mean they're not really familiar with the movie business. They're going to believe everything they get told. And like, that's always, you know, I hear these horror stories from investors. I, I meet them after the fact and they tell me what their experience and I'm just yeah. like, oh my God. And then like, you're like, you ruined it for the rest of us. Totally. Yeah, which is... And so I'm happy to work with young filmmakers fresh out of the gate. I would rather sit with them and give an hour of my time and advice. If you want more than that, you have to pay me. But I'm happy <laughs> to give someone like an hour and just be like, this is what you need to do. You need to make sure that these People have a good experience yeah. because I've met so many people that if their experience had just gone slightly better mm -hmm. the first time around, they probably would have stayed in the game. But now they're just totally out and they have a bad feeling about it and they're bad mouthing it mm -hmm. to all their, over. To their friends. To their friends at the, potential at the River Oaks Country Club. Exactly. My assistant, my former assistant from like 10 years ago, my assistant is now producing and she's got a great project and she and her producing partner brought it to me and like I'm helping them with it because A, I'm so super proud of her, Hannah. She's Good. so amazing. But it's important for the community as a whole that new investors, whatever, have a good experience. And so I'm I'm happy to help them with their financing strategy and introducing them to people I know and all of that because you just want everything to go well. Yeah. At every level. Yeah. Whether it's the half million dollar movie and the, or the five million dollar movie. And the other thing I do love about Austin is that incredibly talented people who work on big TV series, whatever depending on where they are in their career, they might be willing to do an indie movie. Right. You know, and so... For the right project. For the right yeah. project, if they love it. It's just great. When people talk about, like, the community here... Yeah. ...and creative freedom and whatever, I do think you can do a lot mm -hmm. here that you couldn't maybe do in L.A. or yeah. New York. There's definitely the landscape to explore, it feels, you know, to make stuff and kind of find your voice as a storyteller which is expensive to do in L.A. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I know people are doing it. It just, it seems a lot easier mm -hmm. here. And I always tell people, like, if your friends make movies, you know, if they're lucky enough to end up on streaming or whatever, like, go support them because it's so hokey, but it is true. A rising tide does lift all ships. Yeah. So we have to support each other because that's the only way the community stays vibrant and healthy. So did I necessarily want to go see that movie about a subject matter that I don't care about and whatever? No, but I did it because it was important because that filmmaker is a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And it's in my best interest to make sure all of my film neighbors are working. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like that mentality. Definitely. Well, and I think it's it's been here long before I got here. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of, I think, holding up my end of the bargain. And then, you know, the only people I know who've left the community left it because they needed to work and the work was elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? So again, like this whole idea about bringing more TV series here and the incentives going to that, I get it. I think that's fantastic. It employs a ton of people. I see how vibrant and vital the television industry is here and we need to have more of it. So yeah, let's just get as many incentives as we can, get more TV here. And then those of us in the kind of film, indie film part of it, yeah, we may have to work in New Mexico or Louisiana or North Carolina, mm -hmm. even Massachusetts, upstate New York. New York is thriving. Yeah. So, you know, there are other places that I just might have to go for three months. Yeah. And that's just kind of what you have to do. And it's not terrible. It's not terrible. But yeah, that I mean, that's just that's just the way it's got to be right now. Yeah. So, yeah. We talked a little bit about, you know, investor relationships and, well, the elusive investor relationship and potentially showing up at film festivals is a good way to to hone those relationships. Yeah. Is there any other like ways that you would suggest of how to really like meet people? Well, you know, I have seen a lot of things online that are catalysts, I guess, you know, they're like pitch fest to investors. I mean, I think that in general, the industry recognizes now that it's hard to put all these people in one place. So there are festivals and things that you can apply to where if your feature meets the criteria, like they do very much seem to be kind of genre films like horror or whatever. Mm -hmm. There are now outlets where, you know, you you pay whatever the $50 application fee, but if you get in, you, you get to pitch to actual financiers. So that's, there's certainly that aspect route. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's, I don't know how to say it without sounding like such a dilettante, but it's like, if you are in places where there's rich people, yeah. I mean, like here in Austin, I shouldn't even say this, but like, you know, there are certain golf events. I'm just going to say yeah. that. Gotcha. That if you go to these <laughs> golf events. You're going to meet some people. You're going to meet some, listen, no one's at these events unless they have more than five cents. So yeah. I'm not doing any of this at the moment, but if I had to, I would certainly start going to events mm -hmm. that you know, it's worth the investment to maybe buy the ticket to mm -hmm. go because I have noticed too, especially in Austin or Dallas or Houston, if you say to people, oh, I'm in the movie business or I'm a writer director, they will ask you what you're working they're, on. They're automatically interested. You do have to have some people skills. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yes. <laughs> and you do need to be able Hopefully. to read the room <laughs> and all of that. I don't know how to teach that. You either have that or you don't. <laughs> yeah. um, but... You can certainly just advertise yourself to these people if they ask. But I, 
I can't really have general. have a sales pitch ready, yes. right? You have something to sell. You have something of value, right? Are you so working you, on anything now? Have you had anything that came out? Oh, I just had a film at this and that and this and that. Yeah, like you should kind of have your own little resume, whatever, down to, you know, 15 seconds. Nobody wants to hear you reciting anything. No. In any industry. <laughs> Even you investment banker guys out there, nobody cares about your deals. <laughs> And then, yeah. And, oh, what are you working on next? Like, you should have an, a, a brief but interesting answer to that question because you never know. But it's about being in those environments, I think. And, like, Austin has a ton of stuff mm -hmm. that you can go to. And so you have to kind of be out there. Yeah. It's like dating in a yeah. weird way. Like Kind of. Yeah, you know, right. You just have to be out there and you have to be open and know what you're looking for and be able to kind of say it. But I have never... I don't think I've ever had anyone when I've said like, oh, I'm a I'm a writer director or I'm a filmmaker or whatever. No one's ever said, ugh, and walked away. No. You no. know. <laughs> so but like interesting, tell me more about that. Yeah. That's something I don't know about. What are you working on now? Yeah. And you never know because you might be making something that has a subject that is particularly personal to that person. Yes. And they're like, wow, how can we get involved? Like that that happens. Or they'll say, I mean, like I said, my first short was about, you know, basically euthanasia, right? Um, assisted suicide. And I had so many people say, oh, my gosh, how could I see it? They would say, oh, my family's going through that. And I really did connect with a lot of people who had gone through that experience who then would say like, oh, you know what? We have a film festival in our neighbor, in our area, our state, whatever. My friend watches movies, you know, and I did make connections that then my film ended up playing in other places. And so... Even just that, like as you build out that spider web of connectivity, yeah, um, you just never know. Yeah, I like it. So you have a lot of experience through teaching and mentorship with South by Southwest and AFS. Can you talk a little bit about this experience and how it's been fulfilling to you as a creative? Yes. I've always thought it's important to give back. I grew up in a family of what they call five percenters. So you either give back five percent of your time or your money. And so it's always very important to me. And when I was in New York, I worked with uh, seniors at the School of Visual Arts on their thesis projects, things like that. And then when I came here, I wanted to do the same thing. So I would try like and give, you know, a couple hours every week just to people who had questions. My office is in the Red Building. And over the years, we've had a lot of other filmmakers in the building and they just kind of would come in and we were just supporting each other. And it was amazing. And then Megan Gilbride was teaching a class at UT and she was taking, I think she was going on maternity leave and she asked if I'd cover for her and I did. So I ended up working with, uh, they were grad students working on their thesis projects. And then I was on the board of AFS and they do a narrative intensive weekend out at Linklater's Ranch. All great projects. You just spend the weekend helping them. Fantastic. It was as helpful for me as it was for them, I think. And then... There was one year, it just blew my mind, Channing Godfrey Peoples was there with her script for Miss Juneteenth, yep. and it was the same year that Augustine Frizzell was there with her script. We actually chatted with Augustine. Oh. Uh, she's wonderful. I am so proud of the work we did there, because like Augustine's producer uh, was Liz Cardenas, and so... That's like just shows you kind of the arc is like six years ago, she was Augustine's producing partner, but she asked if she could come out and do some time with me and we worked together and I was just so impressed with her and with Augustine and this project. And then just seeing what happened with that film and the same thing with Channing and like her husband was her producer and working with them and you're sitting there and you're just like, 
this is so amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm inspired by these young women. I hope I'm giving them helpful advice. And then to see what happened with those projects. I When I finally rolled off the board of AFS, I look back and the work that I got to do at those narrative intensives was hands down the most satisfying aspect of having been on the board and truly ranks right up there in some of my happiest memories of working here in Austin. Like when the day comes when I'm no longer here, those those weekends will stand out in my yeah. mind as just having been so fantastic. And and I see, you know, AFS does a really great job, I think, of kind of pinpointing the projects they want to focus on because they all go on to have success, these amazing really? afterlives. And so I couldn't be happier for for Augustine and Channing and all of the success they've and I follow Channing on social media and like her career is just blowing up, blowing yeah. up. And it's, it's just so great good to, to see. see. Yeah. It's just great to see. I, I'm so happy with the film community. I'm happy with the people here. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that there will be kind of a big legislative push this year to really continue to to fund on an even greater level the incentive program here. Yeah. And just San Marcos, just uh, I, they're building this huge studio, studio right? Yeah. And the reason and they were able to do it is because the city of San Marcos agreed to give the builders big tax breaks uh, in terms of their real estate taxes, right. right? So that's great. Yeah. But that's not the state. That's just, that is a very smart city council of San Marcos looking at their, because I'm sure there's probably a lot of people in the movie business now moving in that corridor between San Marcos and Austin. And so they're like, we're going to build this thing. We want this here. If you build it, they will come. Exactly. And so how can we help? Great. We're going to give the builders of this big complex a break. But people still need to come and use those facilities. And mm -hmm. so that's where I think we need to also remember, like, yes, we need production incentives. I know the data exists that proves how beneficial it is. So, yeah, we need to, as we start moving more towards February, <laughs> I do think we got to get the ball rolling there. Should we be successful in really upping our production incentive, then I can go back to my investor groups and say, hey, you love Texas. You're proud of Texas. We can shoot this in Texas. It's going to portray Texas in a good light. La, la, la. I just can't do that right now. And I would like to see that change. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Let's make that happen. <laughs> we talked a little bit about you pushing your career towards directing, well, writing, directing. Um, what is your next move and what are you excited about? Well, I just finished my third short, so that'll go into the you know festival circuit. Yeah. And that'll just Congratulations. be fun. Thank yes. you. As a writer-director, something I wrote an investor group has optioned and they are asking me, they would love it if I would direct it. So that's the conversation we're having right now. So I do think no matter what, I'll direct a feature in 2023. I just don't know yet exactly what Which that's going to be. Yeah. Um, I did take a stab at writing a pilot. And um, and I think I can say this. Uh, Drea DiMatteo, who played Adriana on The Sopranos, has read it and is very interested in it. And so hopefully she and I are going to make that happen. That sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> great. My big project right now is I'm adapting a New Zealand documentary into a feature film. And is then, that something that you want to be directing? No, producing? no, no. It's a it's a huge project. Yeah. Um, and it really deserves like an amazing, you know, director with lots of experience. Mm -hmm. And also, we really want to go for wonderful, recognizable actors. And they're going to want to work with a fantastic well-established director because the movie, it's period. There's 
thousands of extras. There's unfortunately some very physical torture scenes. I mean, it's it's serious. It's a very serious movie. So um, no, I will not be directing it. And that is fine. Yeah. I just want to get the story out. I saw the documentary. It changed my life. I want to get the story out. So yeah, hopefully 2023, I have like... I used to say I was cautiously optimistic. I don't even feel cautious anymore. Like, I'm just optimistic. So. Well, I'm excited to see <laughs> see what's next. Uh, I, like, I like this is one of my favorite questions, but what is your favorite piece of advice or, or something that, like, is a mantra for you? Uh, no way out but through. I, I mean, like really, I just, there's no way out but through. You just have to do it. And you have to just keep moving forward. And even when you don't, like... I remember giving myself my own advice on the very first day I was shooting my first short. So it was like day one of directing and something was happening. And I literally had like all these people just kind of coming at me with all of these questions. And I'm actually a terrible introvert. Yeah. Like I have panic attacks sometimes. And like, so I felt it starting to happen. Like I felt my heart start to race. The heat was like rising up into my face and just in my own head I heard myself like just say no way out but through and I I like closed my eyes took three deep breaths and then I just went okay <laughs> stop and everyone got quiet it was like three seconds of just silence and I said okay this is what we're gonna do and one of my dear friends Theta Cunningham was the focus puller on and in the morning, I'd said to her, I'm a little nervous how it's going to go, whatever. And I've never been directed before. I'm so nervous. And like that happened. And then it, and then it went, she just walked behind me and she was like, okay, yeah, you're a director. And she like <laughs> just kept walking. And I was like, okay, I did it. And then I learned. And then on my second short, everything went super smooth. And then on my third short, I was just blessed with two amazing actors. And like with every single one, I like I learned something. And um, you know, like you said, it, it really, it is a muscle. So I just, I want to do two more. And then direct this feature and and sell this Cambodian script and let it go out and do its thing and do its thing. Yep. So yeah, that's my plan. That's my plan for the next eighteen months. Well, I I love it. I love the plan. And the other piece of advice I honestly would tell people is like, if you don't know, find somebody who does. Because well, listen, surrounding yourself with people—that's the key. Film is collaborative. No one is expecting you to know everything. Yeah. But we are expecting you if you don't know something, to find the person who does. You don't have to be the greatest director in the world, but you have to make sure the people around you know their know job. What their job. Yes. And that's why when I direct my first feature, like I know who I'm going to call because I want to be surrounded by people who have way more experience in their jobs totally. than I will have as a first-time feature director. Yeah, I think, honestly, like the, the most useful thing... I heard from today is that you, you've produced so many movies and now you're moving into directing, but you still know you need to do three to five short films before you're going to be comfortable directing your first feature, right? Oh, I think yeah. like so oh, yeah. many filmmakers are like, well, I'm going to do one short film and then we're going to go straight into doing this. You need a body of work. And it's funny, right? Because on the one hand, you have to kind of applaud the bravado and all of that, right? Yeah. I don't ever want to discourage particularly a female filmmaker from not doing what she wants to do. But there's also inherent in the, well, I've done a short, so now I'm going to do a feature. There's almost, I think, a level of disrespect for what directing actually is. Yes. More often than not, you are taking other people's money and maybe they don't know better. 
So you have an obligation to kind of the craft of directing, to just be respectful of it and, and how hard it is. And you also have a fiduciary responsibility to the money that you've taken or that your producer has raised for you or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky because on the one hand, I want to be like, OK, great. If you if you think you're ready to do this, then you go and do this. Go for it. Right. Yep. And maybe they're smart enough to surround themselves with smart people and whatever. But in general, I have not yet heard the story of where that ends up wildly successful. I don't know. I'm not involved in projects like that. And I would strongly encourage if someone came to me and said, this is my plan. I'd rethink that plan if I were you. Yeah. But if there are people out there and they, you know, have questions or whatever, my email is flatironpicturestx at gmail. I will be off writing this summer, but I will be able to check my email like once or twice a day. So if anyone out there has questions and they just reference they heard the podcast and I would be happy to answer their their brief question. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This was really fun. If you want to continue listening for more episodes, be sure to subscribe. While you're at it, rate and review so we can get the attention of new listeners like you. Special thanks to Austin Public for their support. Don't forget to follow us on social at wift underscore Austin. Also, check out the new and improved website, wiftaustin.org. And if you're not already a member, Wift Austin offers some great networking and educational opportunities to improve your career. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, you guys? It's summer and I'm back with a brand new movie review. This week, I'm excited to talk to you about a very funny movie that I watched recently called Bernie, starring Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey, directed by Richard Linklater and written by Skip Hollinsworth and Richard Linklater. I absolutely loved this movie. I watched it at work. which is like where I watch a lot of movies and it was so funny. It's based on a true story about Bernie Tita and Marjorie Nugent and Bernie played by Jack Black is this go-getter who just wants to do everything, wants to help everybody. He is the talk of the town. Everybody knows him and he's super helpful. Sometimes you think, as I was watching this, I'm like, maybe he's a little too helpful. Like, is he doing this? So then he could get like good reviews about himself, you know? And Marjorie Nugent, played by Shirley MacLaine, is a new widow <laughs> who Bernie becomes like really close friends with and Marjorie kind of takes it a little step forward and is like, no, you're going to do everything for me. You need to be everywhere I am and you need to be on my beck and call. Like anytime I ask for help, you need to be there. And it got to a point where Bernie was just like, I can't take this anymore, but I really love this film. Uh, It was filmed in Texas Based on a true story in Carthage, Texas, my main reason that I really liked this is the editing. Throughout the film, you have little title cards about like what's coming up next. And throughout the film, you have stops of the story and real residents of Carthage, Texas are telling you their point of view of how everything went down and how... Bernie Tita really acted and 
how a Marjorie Nugent really was. And that I just thought was amazing because these people really lived it. Like they were there for the entire thing. And you have one person being like, I thought Marjorie was, you know, she went through a tough time and she was really nice. Then you have someone right after that person come in and be like, I didn't like her. I thought she was rude. I didn't like her at all. And I just thought that was really funny, like the contradictory statements and all that editing was done by Sandra Adair. And I thought she did an amazing job And the commentary really helped move the story along. So I thought that was really cool. And also Shirley MacLaine did a phenomenal job. I love her. I think she's amazing. And um, she actually really scared me in this film because (laughs) how she was acting. I know some people who act like that. I was just like, wow, this is spot on. This is really freaky. But I loved it. If you want to watch it, you can watch it on Peacock or rent it on Amazon. Thanks so much for listening. And I will talk to you later. Bye. This episode of the WIFT Austin podcast was produced and hosted by Chantel James, Ai Vong, and Samantha Ray Lopez. The showrunner is Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen, Valerie Torres, and Carla Rivera. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. Marketing is done by Carla Rivera and Tori Rose. You can find us on the web at wiftaustin.org and on social media at wift underscore Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.